Just uh, great to be here tonight. We do have a couple of our folks from our church here, uh, the Gray family, and uh, they've been a, a blessing and a staple there at uh, Plains for many years. And uh, they were there when we came, and they still hang out with us, so I think that's a good thing. But uh, it's always uh, uh, good to have faithful people in the Lord, and, and just for God to have a part with that. But uh, I sure do want to thank uh, your church and all that uh, uh, they have done. The accommodations are very nice. Enjoyed the fellowship. Had a good time this afternoon with uh, brother, <clears throat> excuse me, brother Miller and. And, uh, you know, I just want to encourage your folks here a little bit, because oftentimes it's, it's awkward for the pastor to stand up and say certain things at, at his home church. But I'm visiting, so I get to go home tonight. I want to encourage you to get behind your pastor. I want you to really consider how important it is, because, you know, he cares for your soul. He cares for what goes on, and... It's a lot of long hours and things that you don't always see, but I want you to encourage, pray, get behind, pray for your pastor, pray for his wife, you know, love on his wife, you know, that those are things that are important. And oftentimes we forget what goes on, but there's a great spiritual battle that takes place. And your pastor is at the forefront of that battle. And so I just want to encourage you to get behind him, encourage him, just let him know you're there. You know, even being out tonight and bringing others with you, being a present on Sunday morning, you know, sometimes you say that's little things. But I want you to understand it's big things to your pastor. When he spends hours preparing and things, it's an encouragement to see people come out and desire uh, the Word of God. And so I just want to encourage you at that and just stay faithful until the Lord returns. Amen? And uh, stay by the stuff and to do what we ought to do. And so tonight I just wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, this idea of church planting and, and the scope and the dynamic of that because oftentimes we have a lot of things today that get us, uh, we, we think or we assume or we process in our mind of what we perceive is taking place or how things ought to be. But I want to encourage you tonight because our manual for church planting is not found in a book that you buy just off the shelf that some guy wrote. I want you to understand that Planting and establishing churches has been God's plan from the very beginning. It's God's plan. It's from his, the scripture that makes a difference. And so your Bibles tonight, I want you to find a couple different places. hope you brought your Bible. That's your most important thing you can bring with you to church. Amen. You know, and uh, bring your Bible with you. And uh, Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1, okay? I want to, uh, we're going to hit those two first here tonight. So I want to get you a chance to turn there, and that's the reason God gave us multiple fingers, so we can have spots to mark in the Bible when the preacher does things like this, okay? Uh, but uh, tonight, I just want to give you an overview of what the Bible says about planting and how a new church begins, what are some of the things the Bible gives us, the illustration of how that ought to function and to do, because, you know, as a, a pastor just doesn't biblically go out and just hang out a shingle and say, I'm going to start a church. There has to be some authority, there has to be some backing behind that, and that backing is another local church. Another church that it's, in one sense, we often refer to it as birthing a church because that's exactly what's happening, and it's something that's important to understand and to uh, uh, know what is God's word say about it because it's easy to get caught up into things that are sometimes easy to either misunderstood or misconstrued, or, or I thought that's the way it worked. And you know, the best thing we can do is to use God's word to say, this is how God established it. And then follow his pattern. You know, there's no greater pattern we can follow than the word of God. It's a picture of what we ought to do. And, and so at Plains, it's been a blessing to see as God begins to move this process uh, forward. You know, as a, as a church that's going to be sending out one to start the uh, church down in Hickman. You know, it's exciting to be alongside and to see that and to understand that witness. And you know, really when a church begins to desire to send out others, whether to the mission field or to plant another church, honestly, it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of growing up. Because that ought to be what God wants us to do is replicate. 
And we'll look tonight a little bit at this replication process and how God established it. And so hopefully you brought your Bible and I hope you brought the one, not the new one, because you're going to be flipping pages tonight to keep up, okay? I'll just give you the forewarning a little bit. So if uh, you get uh, like our folks, some of them will cheat. They get that digital device and then they, ah, I beat your preacher. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so don't, uh, uh, it's okay if you use a digital. We have some. I mean, it's, we use the tools that God gives us. And it's a tool, but don't get distracted along the way, okay? Remember the message this morning, focus. <laughs> you know, I want to encourage you to focus on things here tonight. And so uh, we find that uh, God has been in this, had this plan from the very beginning. You know, we touched a little bit on that this morning because when you understand the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be a testimony and a witness even to the people around them. Believers today were supposed to be a testimony and a witness in the world around us to bring a light to them. And, and we understand that principle, but we understand how is that to be uh, played out? How is that uh, so, uh, God's put in for us? And, and so with those things in mind, we'll look here first in Luke chapter 1. Follow along here in Luke chapter 1. Look here at verse 1. It says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely, notice this, what? Believed among us. Luke's gospel was written to put together all those things that are most surely believed. To understand, to give to us those things of a foundation. Notice verse 2, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning, notice this, where did he get his information? You know, it, where you get information is important, isn't it? Notice who he went to. He didn't say, this is what I heard, or this is what the rumor said. Notice where he went. He did this. He said, we're eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. In other words, he says, I went to people who were actually there, or talk to the, the apostles and other ministers that we'll see that are coming in the book of Acts. You got to remember, Luke was written after, after all the events recorded in Acts had happened. Acts was written in retrospect, you might say. It's a record of what happened. And so we understand that Luke here is writing this. In number verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things. Notice this, from the very first... To write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. You know, what a powerful reality here as we see that Jesus begins to put together for us as Luke records those things most surely believed among us. Now turn over to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. And we're going to be cruising through the book of Acts tonight because... Part of what we're going to do is take up like a uh, 30,000 foot look at the book of Acts. You know? Because we're not going to camp any one spot, but I want you to see the pattern that's established. To understand the truth and the principle of church planting and what takes place. And what's involved in that. Because notice this in verse 1. He says this, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus. Now, see the connection there? What was the former treatise that he made? It was the Gospel of Luke. So in other words, what we find here in Acts is just an exact, it's like the, a part two, <laughs> you know, of the book of Luke. He says the Gospel all the way to where Jesus ascended, and then in Acts it picks up at the ascension again and goes forward. You know, we see here it's kind of like part one and part two, you know. It's like so many series, you might say, uh, Luke and Acts. It fits together and tells us the first part, and then it tells us how things are going from there. And so we see this picture. Notice verse 2. It says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, we see here that uh, as uh, Luke uh, records this for us, we see that Jesus has arisen from the dead, and he says that he showed himself alive, notice that, by many what? Infallible 
proofs. In other words, there's no question. In their understanding, they witnessed it. It was personal to them. They saw it. There was not a question in their mind. And you say, why is that important? Because it impacts us today. To know for sure that Jesus rose again. That's our victory. And notice here, as we look down in verse 4, and being assembled together with them, and that's another important word there, assembled. We'll look at some of that in a bit. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, notice this, for the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So as we see here, it's clear that Luke not only records the life of Jesus, but it records now what Jesus' life meant and how it played out in the lives of people moving forward. You know, it's interesting that he never really ends the book of Acts. If, as you read through the book of Acts, you find it kind of ends abruptly. Because it's almost like at the, when you get to the end of the sequel and it says to be continued. Because you know what? We're, we are the to be continued. Because it didn't stop in the first century. It continued on through. It was a continuation of that. We are living, you might say, in, in the days of Acts as it moved forward, as churches were planted, established, and moved forward all the way through. It hasn't ended. You know, Jesus hasn't returned. You know, that's the mark of what we're waiting for, is it not? The blessed hope of our return of our Savior. We see and understand how Luke here records this for us in the Acts of the Apostles. You know, I want you to understand, he's not talking about just any actions. He's talking about the Acts of the Apostles of Jesus Christ. That's an important thing as we look here because Luke was setting the record of how the gospel spread throughout the world in the first century. You know, we can get a lot of information on what's involved in starting a new work from the book of Acts. And we're going to see here tonight because we need to also understand the book of Acts is a transitional book. Because they're moving and struggling with what they had been brought up. In the tradition that all these mostly Jewish church at Jerusalem was dealing with. They were dealing with all these things that they'd been brought up in under the law. And now they have to reform their thinking because now they're not looking to something. They're looking back to what already happened. They had a change of direction of their thinking. And we find the church at Jerusalem very quickly began to grow and to expand. The day of Pentecost came and, and uh, the Holy Spirit uh, empowered the church there on the day of Pentecost in such a mighty way that when uh, they began to preach and to teach, we see some miraculous things that took place. You know, take a look here in Acts chapter 2. Look down in verse 41. I don't know about you, but this would be an amazing day. When they that notice this gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, that's one of those as a preacher you start stepping back. My only question is how wrinkly were the apostles by the end of the day? Because by the time you baptize 3,000 people, you're in the water a long time. <laughs> you know, I imagine they look kind of uh, prunish after they got done with the end of the day, you know. Because uh, if you begin figuring that out, it's interesting that it takes about five to six hours to baptize if all 12 of them were, if 11 were baptizing. That's a lot. You know, to consider what happened that day. And, and the apostles we see here uh, were probably uh, this uh, a dynamic of uh, uh, seeing all this happening. But I want you to understand the miraculous event didn't end on that day. Because as you read, read, continue to read through, you'll find that this revival in Jerusalem continues for weeks. You had 3,000 saved. 
and we see that dynamic. Look down at verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In other words, it continued to grow. It was an ongoing dynamic. It continued through in a mighty way. Acts chapter 5. Look over there. Acts chapter 5. You find over here in verse 12. And by the hand of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the, the rest does no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Now stop and consider that for a moment. Here is a multi-week revival happening in Jerusalem. Now I want you to understand, this was not the revival you hear on the news. This is not we gathered together to sing some songs to make ourselves feel good. The Bible defines revival, and that's when God's people turn and get serious about God. You cannot have revival without repentance. The two are attached. Revival is not getting emotional. Revival's getting changed. And we need to understand what was happening here, that they were in the Solomon's porch, which is beside the temple, and they gathered there, and they continued to, to declare Jesus, and those that came heard, and they continued to get saved and added to the church at Jerusalem. You say, why were they meeting on Solomon's porch? Probably because they couldn't have anybody's house big enough. I'm just thinking to myself, how much trouble have you called the wife? Hey, wife, we're having uh, uh, 3,000 people over. She'd be looking at me going, no, you're not. They were meeting there because it's a place they could meet. Because of the crowds that were expanding. We're not told how many were there, but I suspect, and some speculate, there were probably ten to 20,000. As they began to see those that had met Jesus, had been impacted by Jesus, suddenly understand that he was truly the one that came and died for their sin. The one they had been looking for from the very beginning. Remember, there were those in Jerusalem looking. Remember at Jesus' birth? Remember uh, Simeon and Anna? There when Jesus came to be uh, uh, dedicated in the temple? According to the law. You say, why did he go? Because he had to, to fulfill the law, because that was part of it. He went there that day, and Simeon and Anna both were rejoicing that they saw God, God allowed them to see the Savior. Now, it says they were both very old. I doubt they were still alive when Jesus was crucified for their sin, but they believed. He was the one they were looking for. The one they'd been praying for. The one they knew that was supposed to be arriving about that time. That's a whole nother lesson. We'll let your pastor get into that one. That's a whole nother series. But I want you to see here, the church continued to prosper and to grow and to expand and to do those things. And look at verse 42 of chapter 5. It says, And daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something here. They weren't just talking about Jesus at church. They were talking about Jesus at home. They were talking about it with, his, with their neighbors, with their friends. You know, when something really impacts you, it's something you talk about. You know, we realize this. It continued there at Jerusalem until the persecution came. We know as we read through the book of Acts, there was much persecution. They continued there. The apostles were beaten and imprisoned, commanded to stop preaching Jesus. But they said they ought to obey God rather than men. They knew the importance of what the message was. 
But you know, as you read through the book of Acts, you notice something. You've got a church that's expanding and growing. But they weren't totally obeying. Take a look back in Acts chapter 1 for me. Because notice what the gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost upon those believers that day was supposed to impact in their life. Look down here in verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now remember this has been going on for quite a while. This revival at Jerusalem. Now we know that uh, uh, from practically speaking, we know there were some that returned from Jerusalem from the day of Pentecost because there was people there that spoke multiple different languages from different places. Because we know on the day of Pentecost, tongues is speaking about an actual language. It's not talking about this stuff they talk about today where people flop around and I'm in my prayer language, you know. It's a, one of those things. It's everybody understood in their own tongue, their own language. You know? That would be an amazing service, don't you think? I've had the privilege of traveling places. And uh, uh, we were down in the Philippines a few years ago. And, and uh, was invited to preach at one of the uh, uh, church plants from a church there in uh, uh, Cebu, Philippines. I found it interesting, their church was called number 43. Because it was the 43rd church they planted. You're going to go, you've been invited to preach out the preacher with uh, church number 43 out here. <laughs> Let that soak in for a minute. <laughs> they were excited about reaching people in that city that contained millions. But as I was there preaching, I finished preaching and one of the national pastors stood up and I've never been in a service where you had the gospel presented at the end of the service in five different languages. Just so it was clear, everybody spoke English, but you know what? We know that sometimes when you speak something and in your mind it doesn't connect the same. But when you hear it in a native language, a, na a language that connects with you, suddenly it, the light goes on. And that understanding that takes place. So I can imagine that there was many who went out from that day of Pentecost. And they went home and were telling some others. But you know the church at Jerusalem was camping out enjoying it. All it was happening. I imagine they were getting, look you hear me got saved yesterday? <laughs> I had ten, how about you? <laughs> but you know what they missed, that's important. But notice there to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Let me put it to you in a modern version of that for you. You need to be a witness in Norfolk. You need to be the witness to the people that you like around you. That's Judea. You know, the Jews like Judeans. Let me put it another way. You're supposed to be a witness to those you don't like. The Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And then you're supposed to go to people you don't even know. Let me put it this way. You're supposed to go to people you don't even have an opinion about yet. <laughs> That's the uttermost part of the world. To go and to do and, and understand... But that, what did God do? You know, one thing we always learn that when we're not obeying completely what God wants us to do, God allows some things to get our attention. And I believe God used a man by the name of Saul very mightily, not only before his salvation, or not even after his salvation, but even before. Because God used something that everybody thought was horrible and used it for his glory. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 for a moment. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. 
as we move through the book of Acts, notice here, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Now, whose death was that? That was Stephen's. And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions, notice this, of Judea and Samaria. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that they were enjoying and rejoicing in some good things, but they lost focus on the things that they were complete to be doing. Because they were supposed to be doing parts and being a part of that. All except for the apostles. The apostles remained there in Jerusalem. You know what? God is having them fulfill what he told them they were supposed to be doing voluntarily. Then we find that because of this, many other churches were planted. Look over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, look down in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Oh man, we got another problem. <laughs> God's got them going out and doing what they ought to do. Look down in verse uh, uh, 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. When they were come into Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So here we have, some of them finally said, hey, in Antioch, you know, those guys over there, the Grecians, those that uh, were uh, Greek in, in their ideology and their philosophy. They reached out and told them the gospel. And you know what? They got saved. They began to expand and to, and to see this. And we find that church in Antioch began to grow. And it began to to gather many in, and we see that it wasn't without problems, you know. You guys are kind of in a rebuilding phase of some things. I want you to understand that when you start adding people, people bring different problems, but don't let the problems override what you need to do. Stay focused upon what God wants for you to do. You know, I often tell people, you'll get people, well, I'm looking for the, just the right church. And I tell them, if you find the perfect church, if you joined it, you'd ruin it. I mean, that's just the reality. You're going to have struggles, but don't lose sight of what God wants. Many believe, both Jews and Greeks, and we find the first record here, this church at Antioch, I think there were some there that learned the lesson from Jerusalem because I want you to see that they began to get a burden. Look in chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, says, Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Emmahine, and which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now this is a very key passage when it comes to starting churches. This is a passage about missions, not only local, but missions foreign. The application applies to both. Because notice here, we find the Lord using a local church as the primary sending agent to begin other local churches. You know, oftentimes today we speak much about missions, but you know what missions is? Missions, the goal of missions is not just to send somebody to a foreign land. The goal of missions is to send somebody someplace that you cannot be, that we can have a partnership in reaching those in an area that we cannot reach because we are where we are and we're not there. 
Because our task in missions has to do, remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8? There's a little word in there, both. The context of that word means all of these simultaneously. Okay? That's a mindset of our thinking about it. It's not give them money and send them away. This last uh, um, month in April, we had our missions month, and I preached a whole series on partners in the gospel. Because really, when you help a missionary to go to a foreign land, you help somebody start a church in another place in Nebraska, you're partnering in the gospel. You need them as much as they need you to fulfill what God is doing. Because you realize that you are a represented partner with your missionary to do your job where you are. Have you ever considered that? When you send a missionary out, you're making a contract to say that I'm going to do my part for them that they cannot do here. Why they do what I cannot do there. It was the Lord, though, we see that moved them to go forth. They were paying attention. But I want you to understand because Acts 13 reveals some very important elements of this process. Because notice in verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Now that's very important. Because the one thing you'll find is God uses people who are busy serving the Lord. You know, one thing that people do, well, where does God want me to serve? Get in and do something and God will reveal the rest. That sounds simplistic. But that is truly the thing. If you want to serve the Lord... The preacher here can find you areas to serve. You say, well, I don't like that one. Well, get in and get busy. You'll find better ones. Because <laughs> you know what? God uses faithful people. People who are willing to say, I want to be around what God is doing. They ministered to the Lord. In other words, they were performing those things. They chose those that were busy for the Lord. They minister to the Lord. They're busy about things of God. You know, there's many things that go on in a local church that we can help be busy about. You know, I appreciate yesterday when we came, there were some here that were cleaning. You say, well, that's, a, that's kind of a low thing. No, it's not. When was the last time you went to a restaurant and you walked in and it was dirty? How did you feel? Imagine sitting down at the restaurant and the waiter walks over to the table beside you and goes and hands you the fork. <laughs> now I don't know about you, but I can guarantee you what most of you are going to do. You're not even going to bother to order. And if you have ordered, what are you going to do? You're going to stand up and walk out. Why? Just because something wasn't sanitary the way it ought to be. I tell people all the time at our church how important it is just to have clean bathrooms. <laughs> I tell you what, that's, that, that, it says that's little. No, that's big. Because if somebody comes to visit and they're run off because and don't want to listen because something was dirty, you know, that's a simple solution. Don't look at it as little. It's a ministering to the Lord of the full function of what happens here. Everybody together makes it happen. Whether it's mowing the yard or the work day you guys had yesterday. I mean, I've really enjoyed. I mean, I, I was amazed when I showed up. The Lord has blessed this church with a great facility. But I want to remind you a little something else. To whom much is given, much is required. To use it. <laughs> desire to see it filled back up. You know, desire those things. But they were busy serving the Lord. They were there. They were busy doing those things. Notice back a few a couple of chapters earlier. Look over back over to chap at chapter 11. Look down at verse 26. Look down at verse 25. We'll start at 25, I should say, of chapter 11. 
And then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for Saul, whom when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now that word Christian gets tossed around a lot today, but you know what a Christian is when it's talked about here is one that's Christ-like. In other words, it was a label others gave to them, not one they gave to themselves. <laughs> Where we live in a generation, a lot of people, oh, I'm a Christian. You know what? It ought to be something that other people look at and say, that person must be a Christian. They ought to desire that. And, and they were participating. They were busy in the things of the church. You know, one thing that's very practical is this. It's a lot easier to, keep, to change direction if the object is already in motion. If you're busy serving the Lord, it's easier for the Lord to direct you in the places He wants you to be. It's awful hard to move something that's static. It takes a lot more energy. Same principle applies in our lives spiritually. Of desiring those things. But notice here, not only were they participating, but look at verses 2 and 3. Because they were praying and fasting. They prayed, they were praying people, they were seeking, they got serious for the Lord and about the things of God. Now we don't have time tonight to get into things about fasting. But I want you to understand, we, don't have, we do not have a biblical command to fast, but Jesus said that we ought to. There are things that we need to fast for. I'll leave that one for you, brother. <laughs> but notice they were empowered. Because notice the Holy Ghost was working. Notice verse 2, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. One of the most important things is not to go forth saying, well, this is what we're supposed to do, so we're going to force it. One of the most important things when it comes to this idea of planting a church or even uh, sending missionaries, the local church ought to be serious enough to say, Lord, what do you want? How do you want it? What ought to be done? How do we need to do this? They were empowered of the Holy Spirit. You know, I want you to understand that you can do God's work a while in your own power. You can look good for a while. But it's going to catch up to you because we need the Spirit of God to fulfill what God wants for us to do. It is not a human power thing, it is a God powered thing. Yeah, I want you to understand. Take a look back in the Old Testament, turn to Zechariah. We'll give you a minute to get there. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Then answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Notice this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's by the spirit of God that those things are accomplished. Now I want you to see here, our example is that a local church is the source for sending forth those to preach the gospel. Churches ought to intend or have a plan in place to say, one day we want to start another church. We want to be behind missionaries. We want to be behind, be behind those that are close. We want to be behind those that are in faraway lands. You know, your desire ought to be, because you know why? Because it's got you fulfilling God's plan and purpose for this church. I want you to understand, it is a local church thing. To stand accountable for God for what we did as a local church. We need to take our part. You know, when somebody intends to plant 
a local church, it involves just that. They were called of God. They were sent forth. They knew God. This is what God wanted. And God supplied. Look over to chapter 14. Verse 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, that we must, uh, uh, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord of whom they believed. Now, that's another one of them passages that really establishes some things for a local church. Because Paul didn't just get people saved and said, hey, good luck. Each one of those places, they went back and they checked up on them and made sure they were growing. Make sure they were maturing. Making sure that there was leadership. There was pastors in place that were going to be teachers and to establish those things. And, you know, oftentimes the question I get, well, where do you get the preachers from? You know, the thing is, there was a whole lot of Jews that knew a whole lot of Bible. You know, today we have an idea. I've come across people, well, you know, he, he's studied his Bible for a year. He's ready to go. I want you to understand that a lot of the people in the Old Testament, the Jews grew up reciting the Old Testament. They say many of the rabbis and many of the students of the law could recite the Old Testament. Because they were taught it as kids all the way up through. You know what? The one thing I know, if you know somebody that already knows the book and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets involved, <laughs> I can just imagine some of these guys with their little lights going off in their head going, wow, wow. <laughs> because it says that even in other place it talks about Paul telling them and preaching Christ from the Old Testament. I can just imagine some of these people who had been raised in Judaism, all of a sudden the light goes on. <laughs> Going, wow, how about this? <laughs> you know, it doesn't take that long to raise up somebody that's able to teach others when they already know the Word of God. They understood, they preached, they taught. That word confirmed means strengthened. That's the same thing we talk about today when it comes to discipleship. Discipling somebody, building their faith. Discipleship isn't about just having a meeting together. Discipleship is about growing in the Lord. It's about maturity as a person. And when it comes to missions, missions reflects the maturity of a church. And that maturity is important. As we see there, they established... By affirmation, that word ordained, elders, that's pastors in every church, that's local. They commended them, placed them in the Lord's hands. You know, ultimately, that's really what you have to do when somebody, after they get saved, you can encourage them, you can strengthen them. But then they have to take responsibility for their walk with the Lord. There comes a time when even kids, they need to grow up. Take responsibility. They'd seen the Lord transform lives through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, establishing self-governing, that word autonomous, self-supporting, self-propagating local churches. Now it's important to note, because today you find a lot of misinformation, I think, that's unbiblical, because organizations don't start churches. You find no place in Scripture an organization started church. You find every place that churches started churches. I want to encourage you tonight to consider even your church as you grow and expand to reach your Jerusalem, but also the Judea, the Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. Now I want you to understand it can, will bless your church to be faithful in all those. 
And I can testify to this, and Lou back there can testify too, because I'm when uh, Brother Inman came to Lincoln at Plains Baptist where I was, the preacher before me, there was about four people left. They couldn't hardly afford to pay the preacher. And Brother Inman said, the first thing we're going to do is support a missionary. <laughs> and what what'd do you think, Lou? <laughs> Pretty doubtful, weren't you? <laughs> but it does cause doubt. It doesn't make logical sense. But you know what? They started supporting a missionary, and God is blessed. We now support over 30 missions and missionary projects. God has blessed mightily in different ways as God people have given to missions. God's given to missions through our church in ways that's just like you're just your jaw drops. And I'm not bragging our church, I'm just saying that's what God does when you're faithful. I want that to be an encouragement to you to understand the importance of all this simultaneously. And the fact of just even as our church is, is sponsoring uh, this church down in Hickman, it's growing out of ours and, and we realize that dynamic is important. It's important to note though that it's not organizations and it's not even mission boards. It's local churches. Local churches send missionaries. Now I'm going to talk about this a little more because I believe there's a place for cooperation. But the sending and the going is always the church. We need to understand. Take a look over in First Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll try to get finished up here before we run out of time. Pastor Miller must have a pedal there. He's pedaling my clock faster. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 7. So that they were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. You know, here's another group of local churches that had such an influence with the gospel that others heard about it. You know, that ought to be something that uh, uh, we ought to be excited about. You know, it's interesting to note that if you read the book of Colossians, the book of Colossae, or the church at Colossae, the Apostle Paul had never been there. It's one of the few books he doesn't mention people. He says, I desire to see you face to face. You know what that tells us? That church was started out of one of the other churches. We see this example throughout Scripture. You know, Paul wanted to see because of their faith. But I want you to understand that it doesn't happen solely, necessarily by one church, because resources, we partner together to make a difference. We understand that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and you know, moreover, brethren, there in verse 1, it says, We do wit for the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, how that without great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy, their deep poverty, poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that they would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship and ministering to the saints. Now I want you to understand it's important for everybody of believers, every local church, not only to do their part, but to partner with others. You know, that's what makes things happen, is when we work together. Because, you know, every believer, every saint will one day be together in the great assembly in heaven. Amen? You know, I'm waiting for that one. It says we ought to be looking forward to it. <laughs> you know? Hopefully you're looking forward to his coming. But until then, we're to be busy. We're to be doing. To do those things, to study, prepare, practice, seek the Lord's will for you and others, and be obedient to the word of, what the Word of God reveals. You know, like I said, the book of Acts doesn't have an ending. It just sort of cuts you off. 
and doesn't tell you what happened. I think that's for a reason, very clearly, because we are still living the end. <laughs> We're living in this age, the church age that we often refer to as this age of grace. We're living that until Jesus comes. He's saying, just continue. So I want to encourage you tonight to consider what your guys' part is in where you are in partnering together and doing your part here because your part here is just as important as our part there. And to partner with them and to consider that. You know, as a church, it's a great blessing to be able to be a part here coming up of planting a church. We've been alongside and helped other churches along the way over the years. But this is going to be the first one that we're like directly orchestrating with the Lord. I think that's another step of being involved in and what God is doing. What a blessing. What an opportunity. This wasn't something we woke up one day and said, let's do this. We've been talking about this for a long time. Praying for the right person that God would have. And God raised up a young man from Iowa by the name of T.J. Howell that's going to come. And he's going to move his family down into a city where he knows nobody. To reach a city like we talked about this morning that half the city doesn't even identify with going to church. It's an opportunity to make a difference. To do our part in what God commissioned us to do. To be a part of that. We have a great privilege of seeing a new work for the Lord prosper. To see souls saved and lives changed. Now I want to just encourage you to be praying with us. Pray for those souls. Because you know we go back to the book of Acts there in, verse, in chapter 13. What were they doing? They were fasting and praying. And God stepped in and did a mighty thing. They were beyond what they ever would even have even imagined. Because I don't think when Paul and Barnabas stepped out that day when the church sent them forth, I doubt the first thing in their mind was, is, boy, God, we're going to be written about for this. To be honest with you, they were probably very similar to you and I going, Lord, you better step in. <laughs> Because we're in over our head. <laughs> but you know what? When you trust the Lord, the Lord will come through. He will accomplish many great things. I want to encourage you to just, in this area of missions, to understand how that fits together. How it fits with not only our church at Plains Baptist, but also right here. Of fulfilling the great commission that God has given to us. Consider your part. You know, and that starts by being busy for the Lord where you're at. This morning, as we or this evening, as we just conclude here, I want to just consider that thought. Am I an immovable object for the Lord, or am I one that's mobile for what God wants? That God can direct my path. Because that's important. That's the first step is to be willing to serve the Lord. Tonight, are you willing to say, Lord, what's my part in your work? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight.